Good morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Berry, and Wyatt Teeter, as we talk to you about college basketball, the NFL, the MLB, the NBA, and of course, our signature segments, Mike Stupid Rules, and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 169. <laughs> This Iowa State men's basketball team is the team with the lowest win percentage in the previous season to win any game in the NCAA tournament with a .083% win percentage last year. Before this, the losingest team in a previous season to make it to the Sweet 16 was an 8-22 Ohio State team. If you want to do the quick math there, that's .267% for that Ohio State team. That just shows you how poorly our team was last year versus how well we are doing this year which we're going to give you a quick recap of both the men's and women's basketball Sweet 16 games here real quick before we take a moment and reflect back on the season later on in the episode. Yeah, on the men's side, um, it was not the result um, that we were looking for against um, Miami. It was just a weird game from the start. You somehow have a bookkeeping error, so Gabe Kalsher doesn't start that game. Like, how do you screw up the book? Like, just write the right numbers in there? Like, is that all you have to do? Is there something I'm missing there? I think you just have to write down the names and give them your starting lineup. But as far as I know, that's the only... I've heard of it happening maybe once in the NBA, but I've never heard of it in college. Like, is that a coach's thing? Who does that? Actually, you know, I have never heard of it in basketball. I've heard of it in baseball, I think. Yeah, I've heard of it in baseball before. I believe it's the same idea. Yeah, you have two copies of the lineup card, and you give the wrong one to the umpire, and then yeah. I mean that's essentially what happens too here, right? I, like, but have we've we never used that, that lineup, lineup ever. Yeah. So I can only imagine they accidentally swapped Koontz in for Gabe instead of swapping Koontz in for Inaruna, and then nobody noticed, and we just handed it there. Which, you know, that's the kind of eye for detail I'm looking for in the Sweet Sixteen. Yeah, it was it was sort of uh, some foreshadowing of what was to come because. Uh, the game started interesting with Miami going on a 7-0 run and then Iowa State going on an 8-0 run. And I think that was the last time Iowa State led the entire game as Miami, uh, I think, led the rest of the way from there. And, uh, no, it wasn't the result we wanted, but overall this was still a fantastic season. I don't want to belabor the point about about this game because um, I just want to talk about how, how good of a season this was for the men's team. Like at the start of the year, I was planning on another year where I wouldn't really care about college basketball because Iowa State was supposed to be really bad. And I've been invested in this team for quite a while now, probably since Thanksgiving when they beat Xavier and Memphis in back-to-back games. Um, and that's been good. It's been good to have something to be invested in in the winter. I mean, what what I'll just go back and say is... Uh... I mean, I think it was obviously a huge step forward this season for this team. Um, They mentioned it in the broadcast that this team was hopeful. Like, there were goals and ambitions that this team would be back in the NCAA tournament by 2024. Well, that's two seasons ahead of schedule, technically, there. So, I, I mean, what more could you ask for in a team that won two games last year no one really cared what the team was doing. Um, there was a lot of, like, no one was going to games last year. Now, granted, COVID was uh, still still a 
raging on and and that had some of its limitations in fans in attendance but this team reinvigorated the love of basketball um into cyclone nation and i think it was exactly what iowa state needed um i think it's going to help a lot going forward uh in the next couple of years i think um what iowa state was able to do with this what everyone called like group of misfits was special in a way that they it'll it'll help their recruiting going forward um in the long run and ultimately if you go back to it even us collectively as a recording group didn't even like we had to rely on the coin a coin to pick iowa state to beat lsu in the first round um of our bracket like we were split not knowing that if Iowa State was even going to make it out of the first round. Well, they did that, and they made it to the second weekend. We also used the coin to decide that one. <laughs> right. So, like, the amount of faith we had in them winning that game was was obviously not, like, incredibly high, right? But, to say the least, I mean, this is a team that, hey, it was a great year just getting to the NCAA tournament, and we had said that, in a group chat like everything else is icing on the cake on top of that i mean two more wins that's fantastic uh what this team did nothing short of special congrats to this team and some of these players who definitely left their an impact on this team and this program yeah i mean not only were we picked we all know we were picked to finish last in the big 12 but we were unanimously picked to finish last everybody thought we were going to be terrible we thought we were going to be terrible and I think that this team will have a very interesting place in Cyclone history. Not only have we not been to that many Sweet 16s, but it's almost opposite the way that it normally happens. Like when we were in school there in the run, like those were teams that we had as freshmen and they grew up and they'd been there forever. These were mostly guys that just kind of came in for one year and they all coalesced around this brand new coach. And it was kind of an explosion of not only a team that we didn't expect to play well, but in a completely different style than what we had seen before. All of a sudden, instead of running and gunning and basically playing zero defense, it, we were one of the best te- defensive teams in the nation and sometimes didn't play any offense. So not only was it kind of just an incredibly unexpected thing, I feel like Coach TJ came in and more or less put a stamp on this and said, this is what we're going to do now and this is how we play and we will win that way and we did. Obviously, the thing that matters the most now is consistency. Can we get back there? Can we at least get to... You know, the round of 32, if not the second weekend again, obviously we saw with Coach Prome, it looked really good until it didn't, but you can't really make the excuse of he's riding off the coattails of these guys that the guy before him left behind. There weren't any guys there to be left behind except George Condit, basically. So it'll be interesting to see what comes forward. And Trey Jackson. Trey Jackson Jackson and Jaden Walker and Carter Booth. There were technically five people on our roster. Only four played minutes and three of them were literally the bottom of our team in minutes played. So you can't really say they factored in that much. Technically, Trey Jackson averaged more minutes than Robert Jones. He just played in less games. So. Total minutes. Total minutes, yeah. Jones did play a few more than Trey Jackson. But anyway, yeah, so we've basically been playing. I think this team's been playing with house money since we killed Iowa at home. Like, after we did that, I don't think this season could be a failure with... um. At that point, um, yeah. It's really, after we had double-digit wins, it was like, hooray, we didn't win two games. Once we had more wins than our football team, 
It's never ba- it's never good when your basketball team wins less games than your football team. That's not good. So, uh, yes, it was definitely good to see. It's been an incredible year. Um, so I guess my question I'd like to pose to you is, is Isaiah Brockington the best transfer in Iowa State history? No. Who's better? DeAndre Kane. Yeah. And then after that, my uh, my history is a little fuzzy, so maybe there would be somebody else. But for me, was, DeAndre was, Kane takes that. Was Melvin was Melvin Edgem a, a four year player, or was he a transfer? I think he was a four year player. I think he was a four year player. I think the other ones you could consider up there are Mariel Shayak from Virginia, Deontay and, Barton, uh, uh, Royce White. Yeah, you could think about Royce White too. Oh yeah, Melvin Edgem was recruited by Iowa State and played his freshman year there. Yeah, I I guess I don't know uh I don't know my Iowa State history that well, but yeah, I I, I would probably say second. Yeah, I definitely have a recency bias cuz I didn't really yeah. watch any of those older guys play. I would I would say second or third for sure. Top 3 100%. And I mean, maybe what he did with the team is maybe a little bit more special. Um I would say uh, I, you know, when those other transfers came in, they were coming into a stable program, um, led by a coach that a lot of people wanted to play for, uh, and Fred Hoiberg, but, um, Brockington came into a program that, you know, by all means, everyone should have, could have told him, no, don't go there. Uh, don't play at Iowa state. They only won two games last year. Like, and everyone who came into practices as they were saying in the NCAA tournament in, uh, some of their interviews was everyone was like, well, you might only win a couple of games, like, but you guys are trying and playing really hard. Uh, so I think maybe what, what he did, like whole body of work on and off the court and helping get this program back to where, where it once was, uh, maybe cements him like as the best transfer that Iowa state has ever seen uh, just in that. Right. But like on the court success, I don't know. He's definitely top three, I would say. Yeah. And, and the fact that he, he turned around a program too, right? Like all, at least like in the case of Royce White and Mary Shayak, the programs weren't terrible the year before they came. Like, Brockington sort of single-handedly turned this thing around. I think his impact, even if he might not be as talented as some of those, his impact has been huge. So, I think I think he, I mean, this change for him definitely improved his draft stock, uh, like, professionally, professional-wise. I mean, before this, would he have even been on the radar as much to NBA teams? No, I, Probably I wouldn't think not. so. I no, wouldn't I think mean, so. He, he was he was the he was the second leading scorer on a bad Penn State team last year. He was not in the NBA draft conversation. Right, and then I mean, he takes. Not only did he help change Iowa State, but Iowa State helped change him. Uh, at least, like there was a lot of of give and take there um, for Isaiah Brockington. It was probably the best, like the perfect union. Uh, in in terms of you know bringing this program back and uh, helping him like achieve his lifelong dream of of playing professionally, so yeah, it was a really good season for uh, for Iowa State, and Brockington had had a big part of that. Um, and I'll be sad to see him go. He did announce today that he is going to enter the NBA draft. Um, so 
um, good on him. Go make your money. Um, it continues to show what we've talked about in previous years that this Iowa State program pumps out NBA talent um, at a very high level considering it's not a, uh, a major program or a, a blue blood program, right? But we have a ton of NBA players playing significant minutes in the NBA that some other schools at our level just can't say. And that's that's big for recruiting, right? I mean, it's got to be big for recruiting to be able to uh, to say, look, we put these players in the NBA. Well, before before the, the downfall of Xavier Foster, that was his uh, talking point was he picked Iowa State over Iowa, his final two teams during his recruiting process, because of Iowa State's pedigree of pumping out NBA talent. Like, it's going, it's being noticed. And I think that's why this year was so crucial uh, for Iowa State going forward is you you didn't just jumpstart the rebuild. You, you completely, it, it's almost like, a rebuild didn't even occur. It was just a one-year turnaround after a really bad year. Um, and so I think, obviously, a huge selling point for TJ is, hey, come play here. Look at our NBA draft wall. like Or not draft wall, but our NBA player wall. Um, and that's something that's huge and that is very unique uh, to Iowa State being the type of program that they are. Yeah, it does make a big difference. Um and, I mean, there's reason to believe this team will be good as well next year. Um, you've got uh, the fifth best recruiting class in the Big 12 coming in um, next year. Um, you don't know exactly what the roster will look like. So far, Brockington, Condit, and Trey Jackson have all said they're not returning. Um, other than that, everybody else could still come back. Um, nobody is completely out of eligibility, if I uh, read it correctly. Even somebody like Kalsha could come back. Um, so there's the potential that this team could be could be really good again next year, led by the likes of um, of uh, Hunter and then Tame and Lipsy coming from Ames. This could be a, uh, quite the team and still next year. They're going to need to find some size in the transfer portal. Um, but they could they could be a good team again next. Are we allowed to get Xavier back? How does that work? Well, I mean, I don't know if he will come back. Like, will that reunion happen? Uh, no, absolutely not. I, I doubt could it. Could we show? Uh, there's nothing against the rules that says we couldn't, but would you want to come back to a coach that just kicked you off the team? I just don't know how much of a relationship they even had a chance to form. It I mean, was yeah, that's legal true. proceedings. I don't know. Obviously, it probably won't happen, but I would love to see it happen. We could use his size, that's for sure. We're yeah. Need to, yeah, we're going to need to find some size. We we need to year. find some size and some reliable shooting. <laughs> so that's that's something that this team desperately, desperately needs. Because, I mean, the, the guys that are returning, Caleb Grill, uh, possibly... Um, Tyrese Hunter, I don't think he'll leave for the NBA draft. I think it's way too early for him to leave. No, there's no way Hunter is leaving for the draft. And those those guys themselves, you can't rely on them consistently night in and night out for uh, three-point shooting and just scoring in, in large quantities. Not in large quantities, but at, at least you know 12 to 13 a game, can't rely on that. So th that's what Iowa State desperately needs is a guy who can go out and get 
on a consistent basis, 12 a game throughout the season. Yep. So, and of course, as the off season moves on, we will um, keep you uh, informed on how this roster shakes out. A lot of these decisions for transfer, stay, go are going to be made probably in the next three weeks here. Um, So we'll keep you informed on all of them, both on our episodes and probably some on our social media as well. Um, So stay tuned to all of those to hear about that. Um, Over on the women's side, it was also not really the result we wanted. Um, Losing in the Sweet 16 to 10 seed Creighton. But this is still one of the best teams in program history. Um, They set a Big 12 record for three-pointers made. I believe they set it or set or tied a team record for wins. Um, just an incredible, incredible team. Um, we're a top 10 team in the AP poll most of the year. Just a really, really great way to um, to play. And it was, it was a fun team to watch. And it's going to be a fun team to watch uh, next year as well because uh, superstar Ashley Jones announced that she is not going to enter the WNBA draft. She's going to use her extra COVID year and stay at Iowa State for one more year. Um, I think this means Iowa State is probably going to be a top 10 AP preseason team as well, I w- you would figure, right? I don't know why I they mean, wouldn't basically, be. Basically, you're going to run your, – your four best players are all going to be back for next year um, now is what you're seeing. Like, So you're going to run this back for next year. There are only two seniors on this team, and one of them has already confirmed that they're coming back. So uh, – I don't see any reason why you would think that they would be particularly worse than they were. So it seems like you would expect more of the same going forward. Yeah, it, this was this was a fun team. And hopefully next year they can pay it off with a deeper NCAA tournament run. But overall, this team was, was super fun and fun to support. Um, and I'm looking forward to doing it next year. So they've definitely, uh, they've definitely got something right. Uh, Bill Fenley does in the women's basketball program. So they just keep, keep recruiting great talent. That's, that's all they do. And it's, it's fun. I, I enjoy it. It is a lot of fun to watch. And he's a great guy too, Bill Fenley. So I know we say that all the time on this podcast, but he is. It's wild that he's never won a big 12 coach of the year before. I know it's insane. He really should have. He's incredible, but so be it. We don't get a vote, so we don't count as enough of a media institution to get that, unfortunately. So we're, we're working on it. Yeah, we'll get there. Can we email Jamie Pollard and get on that? Get get uh, get considered a real press entity here. Sure. Jamie dot Pollard at iastate.edu. Wouldn't it just be? Wouldn't I think it's Jay Pollard. Pollard. Yeah. Oh, Jay Pollard. Sorry, it's been a while since I graduated. Yeah, it should it just be first initial last name. We'll hit him up. Yeah, we'll get that figured out. Um, but overall, just a great year to be a Cyclone basketball fan. Kept us entertained all winter um, until now we're getting towards the NBA, NHL playoffs, and the start of baseball season. Um, great job. Incredible season. So exciting. Let's do it again next year. Anybody else want to wrap, put a, put a ball on these Cyclone basketball seasons? Yeah, just great season. Rough night. All it was, basically, obviously... It sucked that we lost both games that we kind of didn't expect to win and the fact that they happened back-to-back, but it definitely does not overshadow the tremendous year that both programs had. I want to go have a fight with the TV producers who put our games at the same time three straight times. Three times. 
Once, okay, fine. Three times, I won't go have a discussion with you, and it's not going to be friendly. Okay, that's all. Anybody else, Kyle Wyatt? Any other final thoughts? Nah, none none for me. Great season. Uh, Leaves me excited for next season. For sure. So, Kyle, you as excited about uh, this upcoming Chiefs season as you uh, are about the uh, Cyclone season now that they've made some interesting moves? Well, yeah. So uh, just a little bit of context here for all of our listeners. Um, If you didn't check it out, uh, make sure you follow the 8311cast Instagram as this was debuted uh, on the Instagram. Not breaking news, but news nonetheless. Tyree Kill, the six-time Pro Bowler for the Kansas City Chiefs, was traded to the Miami Dolphins. Uh, Miami subsequently extended his contract an additional three years. Uh, giving him a $130 million deal overall, which puts him 10th, either 10th or 11th, in average annual value of contracts in the NFL. Not just at the wide receiver position, contracts. So he's he's getting paid as much as quarterbacks in the league. He's actually getting paid more than Tom Brady this upcoming season. Uh, so soak that in. Um Apparently, negotiations between Hill and the Chiefs went downhill once Devontae Adams got his deal with the Las Vegas Raiders. So the Chiefs are in in an interesting situation where they're getting very top-heavy salary-wise. The NFL salary cap has not gone up significantly yet, and so the Chiefs have a couple other people that they they need to pay, and they're obviously focusing their, their money on important positions like offensive line, and uh defense defensive line as well so the chiefs get five picks in return um in this trade they do not have a player swap i would have loved to have seen a jalen waddle uh player swap for tyree kill uh rather than getting a first round pick in return but nonetheless uh the chiefs get five picks uh they have six selections in the first three rounds uh this upcoming nfl draft uh, which they're obviously going to use to try and get younger and cheaper. Uh, the Chiefs get a first, second, third, and then a fourth and a sixth um, in this uh, trade with the Miami Dolphins. Or sorry, they get a first, a, sorry, first, third, fourth, and then a another fourth and a sixth. Um, what this means for Miami, obviously, is it's Tua's prove-it year uh, in the NFL. It, you win now with your weapons or Miami's going with a different quarterback. Um, I don't think, I think this team is going to have a very hard time competing only in its division itself in the AFC East and in the AFC in general, as I think that Tua for now is a bottom third quarterback in the AFC uh, as a whole. Um, and if he's not able to prove it with this team, then Miami's going to have to go a different route if they're going to try and win. All the quarterbacks in the AFC are stacked and loaded, and now you've got rising stars like Joe Burrow, uh, Justin Herbert, and you've got people like um, Trevor Lawrence who are supposed to be good NFL talents but just don't have the weapons yet as they're on absolutely terrible teams. So it'll be interesting to see how the Chiefs go um, in the draft this year. Uh, with this trade, I do think the Chiefs got the better end of a deal than the Packers did when they traded Devontae Adams. They got way more in return. 
And now the Packers are not only strapped salary cap wise with Aaron Rodgers massive deal, but they also didn't get a ton of picks in return for Devontae Adams either. So interesting situations all around in the NFL. We will keep you updated. Um, everything NFL, maybe a little bit closer to the uh, NFL draft as that approaches quickly here in April. But what is also quickly approaching is Major League Baseball opening day. Mike, what what's the news around the league this week? Yeah, there wasn't uh, a ton of of news around um, the league this week. Most teams are just uh, getting through spring training. Uh, the biggest uh, free agent signing was Albert Pujols. He's going back to St. Louis for a victory lap. I'm presuming this is going to be his last season. Um, his legs gave uh, gave way quite quite a while ago. Um, so I'm guessing this is going to be his last year. He'll DH for St. Louis. He can't field anymore. Um, he might occasionally play first base. but He just joined summer league for the Cardinals today. And uh, he was being interviewed and he said, this is it for me. This is my last run. So it is a confirmed victory lap. Uh, last last hurrah. So exciting that we can do that. And he's going to do it the exact same year as Yadier Molina. So obviously a huge year for the Cardinals and Cardinals fans. Uh, they show up well every year, but you can guarantee there are going to be a lot of them this year. Ticket prices are probably going to be expensive, and everybody will be, even if we don't do the best, it's just going to be a good year and a way to send out two absolute icons and Hall of Famers for our franchise. Yeah, I agree that both of them are, are Hall of Famers for sure. Pujols for sure, Molina, I'd have to look, but I presume he's a Hall of Famer as well. Um the other uh, MLB news um, from a rules perspective um, is that, uh, unfortunately, at least in my opinion, the ghost runner um, at the uh, start of extra innings, um, the ghost runner, the extra runner, the free runner, whatever you want to call him, at second base at the start of the 10th inning will return for um, this upcoming season. Um, so... Uh, that will continue to shorten games. Um, that is the only sort of rule from COVID that is, is coming back. The uh, seven-inning doubleheaders are officially gone. They will not be back this year. Um, I know most of us aren't a fan of it. Um, so far, it's only on the books for this year. It'll be revisited again next year, um, and we'll see from there, but it is back this year. Other than that, spring training is going on strong, and we are just over a week away from opening day coming up here on April 7th. So keep an eye on that. It should be a really, really fun time. I'm looking forward to it. All right, and we're coming down the home stretch in the NBA here too, aren't we? Yeah, we have about a week, week to two weeks left. Most teams have about seven to 10 games left, I think, if not less than that now. So we're really coming down to it. And uh, it's interesting to watch teams um, making moves one of two ways, either really gearing up or really gearing down. I believe uh, he's on my fantasy roster, so I can confirm this. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon has not played in five games, and all five of those games have been for rest. So they are fully in tank mode. They are not concerned about it. And then you have other teams that are fighting for playoff position or play in position. Um, the teams that are confirmed in or out, the three teams that have clinched playoffs so far are the Phoenix Suns, the Memphis Grizzlies, and the Miami Heat. Uh, and then the people who are already eliminated from playoff contention, they previously mentioned Pacers, the Pistons, the Magic, the Thunder, and the Rockets. Um, 
Uh, later this week, I will get to go to Memphis and I'm going to watch a game between the Suns and the Grizzlies. So I'm hoping everybody is active as they can be because I would like to see that for my first NBA game. So excited to see two of the top teams in the NBA go at it. Um, Thursday, the Phoenix Suns clinched the best record in the NBA. Uh, four seasons ago, they had the worst record in the NBA at 21 and 63, I think. Um, that is the third quickest turnaround ever from worst to best. And the first two teams that did it don't even really exist, and it's hard to put them in the same category as this current 30-team NBA, um, whatever you want to call it, landscape. Uh, the first was the Baltimore Bullets uh, in 67-69 to when there were 12 teams in the NBA. And then the other was the Philadelphia Warriors uh, in the years 53-56 to when there were nine teams in the league. So obviously a little bit easier to go from worst to first than when there are 30 teams. Uh, the Timberwolves have been playing great down the stretch. They have the second best net ranking since the All-Star break. So people haven't really been paying them that much attention, but they do seem to be legit coming down the stretch. Cat's playing well, as is his supporting cast. They are only one and a half games back from the sixth seed, so very close to not having to be in the play-in at all. They're right on Denver's heels. On the other side of the Western Conference play-in fun, you have the Los Angeles Lakers, who are now only one game up on the 11 seeded Spurs. And to make things a little harder for them, the Spurs also have the tiebreaker. So there is actually now a very real chance that the Lakers do not make the playoffs. It is basically LeBron doing everything, all the scoring on offense, and then hoping everybody else doesn't screw it up and we can play not bad enough defense to win some games. But they have not looked good coming down the stretch at all. Um, on the note of LeBron, this happened last week, but we had so much NCAA stuff that I kind of forgot to talk about it. Uh, LeBron passed Carl Malone for second all-time scoring. Um, he is now second, and if he maintains his averages, just plays as he normally does, he should pass Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for number one all-time sometime next season. I was reading about it today, but I do not have the exact, you know estimated date. LeBron is actually already the record holder for most points combined postseason and regular season, as well as most points postseason, and he also happens to have the most points in all-star games. So he's definitely doing it. He's just a little bit behind Kareem for the all-time points. Um, the Celtics just picked up their number one seed in the East. They are tied with the Miami Heat, and it just came out today that Robert Williams, their center, tore his meniscus and is out indefinitely which is awful. They've been playing really well down the stretch, and he is the anchor of their excellent defense that they've kind of materialized and are playing with. Uh, another injury, John Morant is out for at least another week with a knee injury, but luckily for him, uh, he had an injury as well earlier in the season. The Grizzlies so far this season have been 17-2 and without John Morant and are outscoring opponents by 18.5 points per game without him. Technically, by the numbers, the Grizzlies are a better team without Jaw than they are with him right now. Obviously, those numbers are just kind of skewed. Nobody would actually argue that and come playoff time. No one is going to say, well, we better put Jaw on the bench because we're a better team without him. But just it shows you the depth of that team and the toughness that when their star goes out, they can play that well still. And, you know, if he has an off game or an off night in the playoffs, they can still make that work. So a lot of excitement for that team. And they're still young and they're really hungry. So it'll be fun to watch. And then just a fun fact, uh, the Rockets, 
are probably the worst team in the NBA. They have a solid 20 and 55 record right now. But I thought it was interesting. Jalen Green and Alperin Shangun, who I think is a really interesting player. Uh, keep an eye on him coming up. Hopefully he can do a little better and grow on that Rockets team. Uh, they became the fourth pair of rookie teammates for the Rockets to score 25 points each in a game. And it was the first since Katino Mobley and Michael Dickerson in 1999. So it's been a while, but they at least have some promise moving forward. So hopefully, if you're a Houston fan, you can see those guys kind of move on and move up and just kind of do things for your team. And you can actually see some building blocks start to be in place. Uh, that's really most of what I got. Do you have any questions? Any Anything you want to know? No, I think uh, I've, I've been tuning in a little bit more, watching some NBA myself here down the stretch as we get close to the playoffs. So I think that's a pretty good summary. Yeah, it'll be honestly the most interesting thing right now is the, the, the race for the play-in. There's so much at stake being in that 6-7 to seven seed or who you're playing in that, especially with people coming back from injuries, possibly, as we've talked about all year in the Western Conference. And uh, with Kyrie, oh yeah. Kyrie is allowed to play home games now. That's also a big thing that just happened. So now all of a sudden you're seeing the Brooklyn Nets in the ninth seed. And all of a sudden they are going to be at full strength. Ben Simmons could come back at any point. Nobody really knows what's happening with him. But all of a sudden you think you get to play a nice nine seed. And all of a sudden it's full strength Kevin Durant, Kyrie, and Ben Simmons. And that that sucks for you. So there might be some teams at the top of the East maybe maneuvering just a little bit so that they don't have to play the Brooklyn Nets in like the first round. Yeah, if there's ever a year for first round upsets, especially in the East, it's going to be this year. Yeah, the East like, is normal- tough all the way through. Yeah, normally the first round is pretty chalky in the NBA playoffs, but this year, especially in the East, you're going to see some upsets. Same same general deal with the Nuggets, though. We're hearing a lot of rumbling that maybe Michael Porter Jr. can return soon. Maybe Jamal Murray can get into the playoffs. If all of a sudden you have to play that Denver Nuggets team with everybody there right at the end, that's similar to me to the Brooklyn Nets where you feel like you got punished for getting a high seed. Might be uh, Golden State that gets them, it's looking like, too. A very injured Golden State team. So we will see. We'll keep that in mind. Uh, In Mike Stupid Rules this week, we're going to talk about one of the things I saw in the NCAA tournament that I wanted to talk about, and that's about uh, cylinder violations, uh, and specifically reviewing cylinder violations. So basically, um, cylinder violation is basically a a player's cylinder is the cylindrical area around them from the arms, if they're held out in front of you, like holding a basketball, around, um, basically around the body um, to the width of your legs, um, standing shoulder width apart, etc., and then out in front of you to your elbows held out in front of you with the basketball. So essentially, um, on defense, um, you cannot um, commit a cylinder violation while you're playing defense. You must give the offensive player um, that cylinder to maneuver. Now, um, what we've seen a lot is um, player defensive players who get an elbow to the face, right? which gets called as an offensive foul, and then they go to the monitor to review that to see if it's a flagrant foul, as they do with many um, elbow, many if not all elbows to the face. Now, the rule I want to look at is um, Rule 11, Section 2, Article 1, Part D1B, which specifically says, 
when there is a foul called for swinging of the elbows involving the cylinder rule, the officials may review the play and adjudicate all penalties by removing fouls, assessing fouls against any player, or, con or concluding that no foul has occurred. So in that case, and we saw this at least once, if not more, in the NCAA tournament, they can take that offensive foul for the elbow and turn it into a defensive foul for a cylinder violation. So as soon as they go to review that, right, for the possible flagrant on the elbow, they can actually decide that the only reason he got elbowed was a cylinder violation and actually give him the foul anyway. So if you saw that, um, this wasn't something I talked about when we talked about what was reviewable, what is and isn't reviewable, um, because I missed it originally, but I saw this and wanted to, to bring it up because I thought it was interesting. You get elbowed in the face, you can have that foul called on you if you're committing that cylinder violation upon review. So I find that interesting because most of the time fouls aren't reviewable. So if there's anything I've learned this year is that I do not know when things are and aren't reviewable. And I'm more confused about it now than I was before. <laughs> it feels like it changes every year, too. It does. And I think it, this, this tournament, they've used too many reviews. There have been way too many reviews in this NCAA tournament, I think. So, Mike, you and I must have been watching the, uh, one of the games that this happened in because the, that exact scenario happened where the, yeah, they went to review a flagrant foul on the offense and turned it into a defensive cylinder violation. And even uh, it was a CBS game, so Gene Serator is there. And, you know, while they're going through the review process, he was giving his thoughts and opinions on it and how – you know, you know that, that's definitely a flagrant foul and everything. And then the the official comes up to the broadcasters and you know gives it a, an ex, that same explanation that hey, that's reviewable. And what we did was remove the the foul off the offense and apply it to the defense. And I also didn't know that was a thing up until that point in time. It just seems wild to me. Yeah, because I I've heard of you know you can call the flagrant or not call the flagrant, right? But I didn't realize up until then that you could just remove the whole foul. But specifically says. When there's a foul called for swinging the elbows involving the cylinder rule or a hook and hold, so hook and hold also is applied under this rule, then they can go back and, and change even who the foul was called on. So it's interesting. You can't do that very often, but in this time you can. So very interesting. There you go. That's one of the interesting things I learned in this year's NCAA tournament. I'm generally not a big hater of the replay just because I like for us to get stuff right but i was watching some of the like best of highlights before the tournament started of just some of the better finishes of games and seeing those old ones where somebody whips the ball all the way to down the court and they shoot a contested shot and the game's over and everybody's happy like i, I in the back of my head i was like that would never happen these days because they would go to the monitor and then we'd be sitting there for three to five minutes and then that would you know it, it does kind of ruin some of that and i definitely thought that when i was watching those old highlights did he get it off in time, or should there be 0.2 seconds left on right. the clock? Should you know all those? It's like things. it just doesn't like, really matter. Just, just Let's celebrate. Have fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I agree with you there. And if you can't figure it out by looking at it from a minute, the call just stands. Let's just go on with the game. You need to put a time limit on this. You can't I look agree. at them forever. If, if we, I was talking about this at my house, if we can see the definitive camera angle within 30 seconds, why the heck can't the referees have that same thing? If they don't have access to that, we should get them access to that. And if they have access to that, why can't they just think about it and do it? On TV broadcast, we can almost see it within a minute every single time. Let's just go. 
Anyway, we won't get into a whole indictment of college basketball we play reviews. Maybe we'll do that in the offseason when there isn't quite so much to talk about. But we have quite the accountability session here that I want to get to. It, you know, write that down predictions. Um, first coming off the board from Wyatt, he predicted way, way, way back at the beginning of the season that the Cyclones would make it to the Elite Eight. And never did I think he'd be that close to being right. But close doesn't count and write that down predictions. So for that, Wyatt gets a nah. Nah, nah. But he did redeem himself by predicting that Isaiah Brockington would end the season as the scoring leader for the Cyclones. He did indeed do that. He scored 591 points on the year. Next closest was uh, Tyrese Hunter with 385. So he scored more than 200 points more than the next Cyclone. So ding, 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 ding. ding. Kyle, you predicted that Caleb Grill would make 63 pointers this year. He ended with 57. Um, that's not quite 60. If he would have shot just decently in the NCAA tournament, uh, he probably gets to 60, but he didn't. So, meh. Orion predicted that the Big 12 would have a men's and a women's team in the championship game. Um, it's still possible in the men's side with Kansas playing Villanova in the final four. Um, but on the women's side, all the Big 12 teams are eliminated. Um, none of them made the final four. So for that, Aaron gets a nah. 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 Which, which reminds me, um, I wanted to ask this in the, the basketball segment, but I forgot. So the four final four teams are North Carolina, Duke, um, Villanova, and Kansas. Now, a lot of people have been saying this is a all-blue-blood Final Four. Do you consider Villanova a blue-blood program or not? Obviously, the other three are. I just want to hear your takes on is Villanova a blue-blood program or not? I, I think I mean, Villanova gets blue. in as new royalty, basically. Like Jay Williams is obviously a great coach, and they've won two titles in the last four years or six years or whatever it is. Like is. They're very good, and they've been very good since... I mean, I've been watching and a lot of college fans have been watching. They're obviously not historically on the same level as Duke, KU, Kentucky, Michigan State, those guys. But I think that they have earned their way at least into the conversation of in modern basketball, they can be put on a similar level. And yes, Wyatt, I know their color is blue, <laughs> but there are a lot of schools whose colors are blue who aren't considered blue bloods, like St. Peter's, for example. They're not blue yet, bloods no. are blue. Or Florida Gulf Coast. Hey, you never know. Oral Roberts, I think, was also a dark blue. Yeah. They, they at least have that box checked. You, you got to have one unless, unless you don't, I guess. Creighton, not a blue blood. Memphis, actually, they might be a blue blood, depending on what you think of us. Anyway, uh, back to the uh, accountability session after that uh, brief interlude. Josh predicted the Iowa State men would win their Sweet 16 game. They did not, so nah. 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 Wyatt predicted that the, we would see Nico Hulkenberg in another F1 race um, at some point this year, um, and we did. He raced in the uh, the race, uh, the Saudi Arabia Grand Prix on Sunday. He finished 12th, did not earn any points um, in the Constructors' Championship, but he still raced. So Wyatt gets a ding-ding-ding. Ding-ding-ding. And Arian predicted that only one one seed made the final four. That is correct. Kansas is the only one, joined by two twos and an eight. So, ding, 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 
that is it for our accountability session. So I'm going to get started putting stuff back on the board. I'm making uh, one of the longer term predictions in uh, 8311 cast history, saying that the Cyclones women basketball, women's basketball team makes the next two Sweet 16s. So next year and the year after. So 2023 and 2024, they'll make 16. And based off the fact that they're basically running it back next year, so they should be able to do it. And then um, they've already uh, got commitments from two top 50 recruits um, in the class of 2023. So that would be freshmen during that 2023-2024 season. So that's sort of what I'm basing it off of. I mean, due to the longevity of this prediction, is this a home run? I think that we should be expected to go that far, given what our program looks like. However, the length of time makes it challenging. What would you give him if he said they were going to make the Sweet 16 next season? That's exactly what I was going to say. I would give that for next season probably a triple because it's still, I mean, it's it's very, very likely. But man, you can't be making predictions like that. I would probably and winning, say that's fair. Winning two games is hard. Like... I don't know. Just look at like look Cyclones at Kentucky team last year. <laughs> <Yeah>. Look at <laughs> look at look at Kentucky this season. They couldn't even win one game. That's so, a good point. That's a good point. Uh, I mean, it's not guaranteed. And I mean, Baylor's women's team was good this year, and you know what happened there. So, and Iowa's women's team didn't even make the Sweet Sixteen while being a two seed. So, uh. I think this has to be a home run if we're giving him a triple, if they just make it next season. Okay. I'd say it's a home run regardless. Yeah. yeah. March Madness is just too fickle. I will take the home run for sure. Not going to argue with that. Do we have anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? Yep. Still alive, doing good. He's enjoying the NCAA tournament like all of us. And now that the Cyclones are out, he's looking ahead to baseball season. He's saying that the Brewers will win two of their first three games and if we were actually prepared on this podcast one of us would have looked up who that opponent is that is the cubs at chicago oh bam we're prepared why it well, why it's prepared because of his prediction yeah, right. <laughs> so uh i mean i think the brewers are probably better than the cubs right you're probably That's, right so is this probably a double single it's hard to tell at this point. I don't know. Feels like kind of uh, a shot I'd in the dark. I I give him a double. Double it is. Sure. Why not? I'm good with that. Yeah. Double it is. I saw the schedule and saw that the Brewers' uh, first series was against the Cubs. So of course I'm predicting the Cubs win their first series. It is a four-game series. So. Uh, so you so that to win it, they'd have to win three out of three. four. Yeah, which means so that Josh I'm, just has to be false. Yes. So I'm leaning towards triple to say the Cubs will win three I, out of four from the Brewers. Yeah, so it was would, just two I out of three, so. I would also say that's a double. But three out of four, I'll give you a triple. Yeah, that works for I, me. I think that's a triple. I like it. Triple it is. What do you got, Kyle? Uh, so no credit to me. Um, this is in part Ariane's backup tweet, or not tweet, backup prediction uh, this week. Um and I'm stealing it from him because I don't have anything better. Gabe Kalsher will come back to the Iowa State Cyclones next season. So he will use his COVID eligibility. So obviously I think this is going to happen since I was about to predict it. 
Um, I just think he had a bad season, obviously, arguably the worst season of his career. And he has a big chance to move into a senior leadership role. Uh, obviously, Brockington was kind of our leader that year, but he'll come back. He knows our system. He knows the defense really well. I think it would benefit him to come back and maybe have a bounce back year. And if he wants to play basketball again, he has to come back because he's not going pro. I would expect him to come back personally, single or double for me. Probably a double. I'm willing to say double, yeah. I dig a double. I fine with the double as long as it wasn't a single. <laughs> not or much in between those two. Not a single. <laughs> <laughs> what you got, Ryan? Before I make my prediction, I just want to ask you guys real quick. We have four people left. Who you got one in the men's championship? North Carolina. Interesting. Kansas. I hate you. I'm sticking with the guess from the best bracket in our bracket pool, and that is also Kansas. And the best bracket in the bracket pool is mine right now. Yeah, but uh, Villanova wins. Just FYI, your fiance is going to beat you if Villanova wins. I'm okay with that. I also think Kansas will win. I think they're the best team. Remy Martin's emergence as a key player in this tournament. Yeah, I've been talking about it all season. I folks in the area, so I just I don't want to see it. I lie. Give me, give me, give me some more. Give me some more Hubert Davis tears after a <laughs> national championship victory. I'm just a little biased because I see a lot of coverage and I'm very familiar with the team. I root for them to lose all the time in the regular season because it means the Cyclones do better. But I kind of root for them in the postseason. I think if KU doesn't win, Duke wins. If they play at their full strength, they're scary. The Big 12 gets more money the more KU wins. So Gotta love that. There's that too. Okay, but to get back on track, sorry, I just we hadn't talked about it, so I was curious what you guys thought. Um, my prediction is with his re-signing with the Cardinals, I wanted to throw something out there. So Al- I say Albert Pujols will hit a homer within the first month of the regular season. I mean, unless... Single? Unless you have information that he's not going to be playing pretty much every day, this is a single. I mean... I don't know that he'll play every day. He'll probably play against lefties as a DH. Four or five days a week. I mean, we have two DH. We had a DH already who is probably going to play most right-handed batter or pitchers. Uh, Crap, I can't remember his name. Hold on. That that left fielder who made that embarrassing play last year where he climbed the fence only to have the ball hit at the front of the warning track? That guy? Because he shouldn't be in the field. He shouldn't be in the field after that embarrassment. (laughs) Um... He's probably not going to be listed as a DH yet, I wouldn't think. He could be. They update those things pretty fast. Oh, yeah, I think it was. Corey Dickerson, I believe, is Dickerson. who I saw listed. So we'll probably split time. And then you have to consider he'll probably get some time off because he's old as heck. Yeah. I'm still I probably s- I still... single. Yeah, I'm happy that's, for that. that's a single. That means he's going to do it probably, so I like that. That also means I think this is the first time that we've hit this cycle since Ariane has started making predictions with a single, double, triple, and a home run, which concludes our write that down before. prediction say Oh, has it really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm not nearly as excited then, though. <laughs> but still, with this at least you know, second cycle, whatever, it doesn't even matter. This is the end of the write that down prediction segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 169 of the 8311 cast. Be sure to tune in next week and in between next week's episode. And now definitely go check out our Twitter page and Instagram at 8311cast. Signing off for the 8311cast, we have your hosts. Kyle Mersh. Mike Ludwig. Ariane Barry. And Wyatt Teeter. Talk to you all again next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Good year.
Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.